0: So hello and welcome. Happy Friday. Today is Friday, November the 3rd and this is backyard beekeeping questions and answers episode number 231. I'm Frederick Dunn and this is the way to be and so I'm really glad that you're here today. We have quite a few topics to get through and the productive beekeeping year here in the Northeastern United States is drawing to a close. So I'm glad you're here you may be wondering what's going on outside 56 degrees Fahrenheit what's that in Celsius 13 Celsius 31 degrees I'm sorry 31 percent relative humidity and that's good news because the bees need to dry out what they're getting in the very last of any nectar and pollen resources have already pretty much been drawn in we have a windy day today 8.1 to 17 mile per hour winds consistent at about 8.1. So breezy day, tough on the bees, by the way. So hopefully they're flying back to the hives loaded and flying against the wind when they're empty because it's easier for the bees. Uh, Opening sequences, by the way, uh, asters, they got snowed on. Those were the last holdouts for the resources for the bees so asters proved to be good Uh, all the hyssop is gone maximilians are gone goldenrod's gone everything's gone i don't need to go down the list because everything in the landscape has basically gone to sleep for winter and uh what else that's pretty much it for what's going on outside snow has already come and gone and uh tomorrow's looking good if you're in the northeastern united states this is going to be your last chance to get out there and take care of your bees do those last minute button-ups, anything that you've been putting off, store your gear, stuff like that. I don't need to tell you. If you want to know what we're going to talk about today, please look down in the video description below. And all the topics are there in order. And they were submitted during the past week. You want to know how to put your own in? Please go to thewaytobe.org. Now when you go there, it might say fredsfinefowl.com. Why? Because it's the same place. freerangechickens.org, same place. It all just funnels in so don't be surprised if you get there but it is the right place and there's a page marked the way to be click on that there's a form you can submit your topic for consideration so i hope you're doing well let's get right into it and uh, question number one comes from farah from saint charles minnesota right here in the united states so i'm a second year beekeeper and decided to assemble my own frames Some beekeepers think that the orientation of the comb cells in a frame is important, and some don't. Does it really make a difference if the bees prefer the Ys up or down? I don't know that it really does. Uh, What we're talking about here is the structural design of honeycomb, by the way. Honeycomb is everywhere. In other words, the hexagonal cell. Hexagonal cell, by the way, is used in aircraft, for example. Behind that fancy uh, aircraft uh, sheet metal, they have honeycomb. Because it's a strong structure with minimal material, that's why honeybees make their comb that way. And we've kind of copied nature. It's kind of a perfect design. So if you have the Y and the hexagonal cell, then the center of the Y comes to a V, and then that goes down. And then so the load is transmitted to the center part and all that stuff. So engineers can go over that and argue over the compressional load of it all they want to. It really doesn't matter for you. And the reason is when you buy your foundation, it's already embossed. So I don't think you can put it in upside down. So if we look at a piece of foundation and if we got close there, you can see that it's hexagonal and that uh, it comes to the point at the bottom and at the top. So the Y up or down, if the Y is down, there's a V or up then uh, it's still pointed to the top. The problem is if you turn it to this orientation and now we have the flat comb across the bottom, which is not a choice for you. If you ran it this way, then you would see now that the Y is uh, off to the side instead of straight at the bottom. So it's more than that, by the way. And sometimes you'll find it, this is kind of a discussion that goes on and on, but see what the bees build on their own and you'll find out they do it both ways even. But here's what's cool about what they do. If you look at the comb, a lot of people don't realize the cells on the comb are not straight out from the foundation. So if you look at these, this is a drawn out foundation and there are hexagonal cells. And if you notice, of course, the Y is more of a V, let's call it that. But they don't come straight out at a 90 degree angle from the face of the foundation. What they do is they slope up a little bit. And so i've measured that a lot of people have measured it and you can put in a q-tip centered in that and see what the angle is make sure it's dead center and you'll find out it's roughly 13 degrees inclined and that has a lot of practical purposes but it also increases the load bearing capability of the cell so it's more than just that i would say if it were me and if you had the choice if you really had a big sheet of foundation it's embossed and you're deciding whether you want the V at the bottom or if you want it to be flat at the bottom with the angles coming up on the sides of that, speaking perfectly from a structural load-bearing perspective, having the V with that centerpiece underneath transmits the load this way, this way, so these load-bearing angles feed into one another, and of course that vertical takes the load as a compressional load. See, in engineering there's shear, compressional, tensile load, and uh, the bees have figured it out for us. So we don't even have to worry about it. But that was an interesting question and I don't think it makes a huge difference. Now, someone did write to me one time and say that, yeah, you said that would be the V down, but then it's actually flat when I looked at it. And then I had to ask, is your hive tilted? Because if your hive is tilted front to back, back to front, they build for gravity. So if it's natural comb and your hive's tilted, you might find the flat bottom there. So, would it change the world if it were flat-bottomed? No, not really. What really matters is the angle of the cell. Once the comb is drawn out, that's when you can't, you don't want to put it in upside down, you don't want to put it in sideways, because you just eliminated the fact that it serves as a reservoir when uh, liquids are in there that are not yet cured. So, very interesting. Another thing I suppose I could add is that some people I notice when they're looking at frames nice hot summer day and maybe there's a nectar flow on and they pick up their frame and they're looking at it as you should sun comes over your shoulder and then uh, you're looking into these cells and you tilt it a little bit towards you to look into the cell at an angle I notice that some people do this they turn it flat and they look at it and when they do that sometimes you'll see a bunch of nectar just spritz right out of it well that's Not fair to the bees, you just made a lot of extra work for them. So keep it level while you're looking at it. Or tilt it a little bit. Remember you have 13 degrees to play with. Here's what's interesting. If we tip a frame flat on its side, any high wetting capable liquids in there will just fall out. So you see it and then of course the bees all come out and lick it up. Uh, You'll notice that some people flip their frames on the long axis, right? That's interesting. So when you do that, we notice that it doesn't pour out. That's kind of interesting. So for example, if this were the front of your hive and you tipped a box straight back, it, even the liquid stuff doesn't come out of the cells. It's very interesting. If you invert it, it does. But you tip it this way, it doesn't. But you tip it this way, it comes out. Tip it back this way, it comes out. Keep it on this axis. And even if you tip it all the way back to the side without going beyond I wanted to say writing moment, but that's a, that's a nautical term. But if you went to the 90 degree mark, it still wouldn't pour out yet. But as soon as you start to invert it, now it pours out because of that angle. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's okay. That doesn't seem to dump everything out. But uh, there are a lot of things you can learn from manipulating your frame. So if you were teaching somebody how to manage their frames and how to inspect and things like that, watch out for that laying flat to look at things. Does not matter. Question number two comes from Mark Freeman, Missouri. Says, hello, Fred, after keeping bees for over 30 years. uh, Three years ago, I transitioned to lay hives only, and I wish I had known about them 30 years ago. Currently, I have 10 colonies housed in eight hives. Upon your recommendations, I have fully insulated the gabled roofs and about two and a half inches of sheep's wool sandwiched between two thin plywood panels this leaves the small space between the insulation and the tops of the frames which is filled with a sheet of double bubble all held in place with a toggle latch on the roof there is no upper entrance or ventilation i've heard you several times talk about difficulties in feeding lay hives that's true All of my colonies are looking good for winter except for one which was a later swarm that didn't have enough time to build up before we went into an extended dearth and I've been feeding this colony sugar syrup in a frame feeder purchased from Dr. Leo which I have covered with a quarter inch slat of wood to keep the bees confined to the nest area. I plan on leaving this feeder in place until next spring and my question is do you think that it would be worth and if it would work to slice off a portion of a hive alive fondant pack and drop it down into the frame feeder for them to have those resources for winter i have never used hive alive before i don't know how exactly how big they are or how much of it i may be able to get into the feeder but i believe this is a hive configuration that could be replenished periodically with very little intrusion or disturbance to the bees i live in west central missouri So interesting that all this came from Dr. Leo. Dr. Leo is also in Missouri, he's in the Ozarks. So it would be cool if I had one of those frames. Now to be fair to Dr. Leo, he says don't feed them. So we're going against that. But also interesting is that Dr. Leo sold you the frame feeder just in case you want to feed even though he doesn't want you to feed them. Beekeeping with a smile as they say. So this is the Land's frame feeder goes inside takes the place of a normal frame lay frames are different and also I want you to notice that it has these partitions in it see that has dividers so if you haven't bought one already mark uh, these are things that you're going to have to think about so I did give this some thought Um, I don't feed the lay hives and I have not fed my long Langstroth hive even last winter right so it really depends on how much honey is already in there. And I understand now you have a late season swarm that you want to help get through winter. So what could we be putting in here? Hmm. So we talked about the fondant, hive live fondant, and just happen to have a pack of it right here, two pounds, four ounce size. So you asked, you didn't know what sizes they come in. And then I want to hold this up in front of this. See, so if we could cut three sections out of this. So I would cut them lengthwise because look how tall it is. It's a little bit taller than that. If you go sideways, it still would stick up over the top. One of the things in talking with the people at Hive uh, Hive Alive, uh, the reason that they're wrapped in this plastic is one of the big concerns is that it would dry out. And if it dries out, the bees don't use it well. So we don't want them to abandon it. So I've thought about that too. So I'm thinking a great way to do this would be to put it right up against the um, front of this feeder. And I would cut it right at the height of the feeder. I'd cut this whole pack top right off. Keep in mind, I haven't done this. This It's just me giving it some thought. And then I would vertically cut this into three segments leaving as much of the plastic on as possible and then I would take, keeping it in the plastic with just the top and one side cut off, I would stick each one of them into these little reservoirs. I think that would cut down on the fond drying out and the good news would be if the bees got down in there and ate away into it. The other thing is you've got this piece of wood over the top. I have that piece of wood too. I think it's a great piece of kit because that lays over the top so that when you open your hive and you look at all the backs of all of those lay-ins frames, there's a piece of wood here. So even your insert, your frame feeder is covered and doesn't get exposed unless you decide to pull it up to look at it. So then you can pull it up because it does leave a gap here for your bees to get in. And when you pull that up, you'll be able to see immediately if uh, there are plenty of resources still in here. And I think I would place it just inside your follower board. So it'd be at the end because you want them to use their honey first. This is kind of their last resort because any supplemental feeding is emergency feed. The best thing for them is going to be the honey they've already stored. And uh, so again, I'm just sharing what I think. Like if we were sitting down having coffee and you had this problem, I would uh, suggest that. Now the other thing is,
1: Fondant also
0: comes in a five pound pack. And the reason that I bring that up is, look at the thickness it is as thick as this frame feeder. So that was the second part of my thought is if the goal is, look at this chubby package of fondant, five pounds. Um, If you cut this one apart, and you got the sections out, I think I would put it in the fridge first to get it nice and cold to make it hold its shape a little bit because it is semi liquid all winter long. Uh, Cut this plastic completely off in contrast to leaving it in the plastic for the thin one because I think these things would actually settle in and then the frame feeder itself becomes the protection from drying out. So you could actually warm this up a little bit. Their limit for warming it up without damaging the ingredients of it. the high limit is 120 degrees Fahrenheit. So let's be on let's leave a safe margin. If you warm this just to 100 degrees it's going to act very liquid then i would just put it in this like batter and then uh, let it fill up the cells now it's only exposed at the top and the side walls become the seal against it drying out i think that would be something i might try out uh, the other thing is now spring comes along and look you've got this fondant jammed in here So the same thing, I would warm it up and then I would uh, use water to wash it out. This uh, fondant becomes soluble pretty darn easy. So if you haven't bought any yet, I wouldn't go with the thin pack, which is two pounds, four ounces. I would get one of these brand new fat packs, which is five pounds. And somebody's going to ask, how long is it good for? This one is good until July of 2025. I bought these myself, I paid for them. So I bought the pack. I got, uh, I think six of these in a box. I'm not sure how many were in the box. But anyway, I paid $60. I bought the $60 box. Anyway, I used my own discount coupon, by the way, to get that. And there is a Hive Alive page on my website with discount coupons. I think everybody's offering a discount coupon on them. So it really doesn't matter who you get them from. Uh, if you want to know more about it you can go there if you want to uh, use my coupon you can go there too it's called hive alive works it shows the science so that's what i would do and anyone else who's tried that or anyone else because this is only our second is this our second or third winner i think it's the second winner with hive alive fondant so um if anyone's tried it that way let us know kind of how it went i think that would be fun to try out in fact even while i'm answering this question i'm thinking maybe if it's warm enough tomorrow my supervisor is showing up uh we are doing fondant on all of the hives now that we're in the first week of november october's just passed he's uh, eight years old and uh, he wants to make sure that i'm on task so he's coming out here uh so we are putting fondant on all of our hives The long Langstroth hive has a removable two inch hole in one of the cover boards. So we're gonna put a fondant pack on that. I did that before and they didn't really use it very much, but it's an insurance policy since I have plenty of it. I wanna, I'm gonna be getting the five pound size going forward. So my 2.2 pound four ounce size is expiring July of 2024. So I have to use all these up this winter. Another thing while I'm thinking of it, People were thinking about pancaking these on top of each other and then just cutting a little hole through them. I've given that some thought too and I think I don't think that's a good idea and here's why. When you have the holes going through the centers going on up, the bees do a good job when there's a single packet like this. They do a really good job of eating the fondant all the way to the corners and edges. In fact, you'll eventually find these completely empty, very clean. If you had the additional weight on top of it, that would be settling down on that. And they would have to clean out all the levels at the same time in order to prevent them from pressing down on the first level and then preventing them from having access all the way out to the edges. So my thoughts are use these one at a time. Uh, One of the advantages is, of course, you can see their progress through the bottom layer where if you stack them, you couldn't. Uh, And I recommend just replacing them as these get two-thirds of the way through. Don't wait until they're completely gone. Two-thirds of the way through, pull it off, put the new one on. Take advantage of any weather breaks that we might have going through winter. Looks like we might have a lot of them. Who knows? Weather people, they know everything. I was actually shocked today because they said it was going to be 58 degrees Fahrenheit. This is the first time they've been right all week. So I would say do that. If you have a colony that's going to put a high demand on this instead of layering them and stacking them and buying them individual, take a look. I will be shocked if any of my hives can get through a five pound pack going into winter. So these are my going forward one. I think I'm gonna use those. And they're back in stock. They were out of stock for a while. Somebody wrote me and said they're back in stock. Thank you for that, by the way viewers have really helped me stay up to speed on when things are happening and things are good. Let's move on to question number three. This comes from Emma Wood uh, 2784, which is the YouTube channel name. Do you think your round hive will survive the winter with such a thin outer wood layer? And the round hive that uh, Emma's talking about, uh was what was in the very beginning of last friday's q a it's the ivory B hive ivory ivry Tac B. and so this will be my first winter with it and i know it looks like it's thin material and it is except there's insulation it's layered so there's this much insulation over the domed top it is more like a cylinder and it's an observation hive so if you go back and look at the beginning of that video you'll see that they are front to back bumper to bumper frame to frame full of honey and bees they are really using that space really well the other thing is it has these little vent holes in the plexiglass on the end and if you go back to look at that you'll see that they even sealed those holes they didn't want any additional venting So the good news is it's insulated top, bottom, front, back. It's got nice thick insulation. So I think it's actually going to get through winter pretty darn good. So Ivory Bee, they did a fundraiser. If uh, you went to Hive Life last January, they were there. There There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, And so this is my first winter with it, but I think it's going to do really well. And uh, look at last Friday's beginning opening and you'll see what the hive looks like that I'm talking about. Uh, question number four comes from Nigel Moore, 9657. That's the YouTube channel name. What is a foundationless frame? Is it one with no artificial comb in it? So, this is my chance. This was the cover shot for today. I'm going to go over all the different frame configurations because, you know, when we've been beekeeping for a long time, we just assume that people understand what we're talking about. So I'm gonna go right down the list here and give you the most common foundations. So the question is foundationless. So foundationless is just that, look at this, there's nothing in it. Now this has the remnants of honeycomb around all the edges because what was this used for? This is what I use for cut comb. This is a shallow frame. There are mediums, shallows, and then there are deeps. They're the most common ones. So we can see the remnants and then there's a groove in the bottom there's a groove in the top what on earth is that groove for well that's if you want to put foundation in it it comes as an embossed plastic piece most often and uh, then you'll put that in so foundationless means just that it's a frame Uh, some people put starter strips up here i never have Uh, if anything i rub a little beeswax on the top But I found that because of bee space, the bees tend to draw this out on their own. I clean it completely off. This will go in a shallow super in the spring. It will go in a strong hive, and 100% of the comb that they build on this will be from the bees, and it will be good for cut comb because it'll be fresh, brand new stuff. Let's move on to the next frame design. So remember the grooves in the top and bottom? Now we have a plastic insert notice too I cut corners I cut these little corners off you can also cut these corners at the top if you want to this frame floats in here until the bees glue it up with their own comb so you could actually push this out just like that for demonstration purposes and this is a plastic insert this particular one comes from acorn acorn offers different levels of beeswax primer on these frames and i recommend on the foundation that you get whatever the thickest beeswax offering is sometimes it's 10 cents more per foundation piece that's worth it if you can get a double or triple dip and you can tell because the edges are smooth and that the embossing doesn't go all the way up to the top Premier, you'll notice that theirs goes all the way up to the top But this is what those grooves are for. To put this in, I like to put it in at the bottom first. And then I just push it in from the top and wiggle it around until it goes into the groove. And then you have foundation. So that's what the plastic foundation inserted. Is there another option? There sure is. So by the way, we already showed this, but this is what it looks like when the bees start to draw it out. This has been used for brood. That's why there's nice brown dark comb there. Because the bees have been through their pupa phases in that. The next one, sometimes you see this when uh, people get a late season swarm or something like that, and we know the temperatures are gonna be cool and they don't have time to build out their own comb. That's when you have this emergency pre drawn comb that is called Better Comb and it's embossed here on the frame. I recommend when you use Bettercomb that you use their frames or that you document it yourself. This is, again, for a medium super. Uh, Primarily, I use these in the brood box, which is your first box. So I have deep versions of this. And this medium would not go up in the honey super. For me, this would go in the medium super that sits on top of the brood box because all of my colonies going into winter in the best setup would have a deep, a medium with resources just for the bees to get through winter so this is better comb so that's another way that it can come and by the way that needs to be wired so you'll see wires going through the sides we can see that on the ends there let's see that's the wire feeding in through those holes and that's the wire i did buy the kit from better bee and so i put in these grommets myself and i run the wires myself very inexpensive if you buy the kit and do that otherwise if you're buying those things preset I think they're like eight bucks a frame and then the last one that I'll show you is everything in one piece so this is a plastic frame and foundation all together in one piece and it's really lightweight so for example if you're going to be moving a lot of equipment that's full of frames this is actually going to be the lightest option because it's lighter than the wood frames and uh, foundation that gets put on those. The other thing I want you to notice is, see how thin the top bar is on this? You get more cells out of these. And see the bottom, very thin, compared to the wooden frame. Uh, The bottom embossed cells, you get more. Because now we have thin plastic instead of the wood frames and it's not taking up all that space. So we get more available cells the other thing is uh for people that are prying these apart this particular one is by acorn years ago i used uh pierco and pierco turned out to be a little bit brittle i won't name a lot of other companies um others were very brittle the plastic like when you knock on them you can tell kind of the quality of it and the acorns don't flex through the field and uh the other uh, the co frames actually did through the years and these are again they offer different coatings some people will be concerned that on the ends here that these openings provide hiding places for small high beetles and things like that but i find that the bees actually um, seal those right up the other thing that you should know is when these frames go together their shoulders touch and close off that space so then the bees propolize those edges so there aren't as many hiding spaces as you otherwise might think the other thing is easy to maintain inexpensive recycling now um, The recycling of plastic is something that kind of bothers me a lot and that's because they'll have recycling numbers embossed on these things but if you follow the path of a piece of plastic that you submit for recycling if this wasn't absolutely clean they don't even accept it it's worse than that they have a bone to pick with these people because They don't tell you that uh for example let's say all the other bits of plastic in the bag that you try to turn into the recycling center let's say it's all pristine it's all clean but you've got the one that's got comb on it and stuff like that do you know what they do do you think they pull out this one bag this uh one piece and chuck it and go ahead and process the rest of it no if they find one piece of plastic in there that doesn't meet their standard of cleanliness or if you've mixed the wrong types of plastic together, the whole thing just goes to the landfill. So that's more than annoying because if you're gonna use plastic, I would really love it if I could uh, recycle it. So I think a lot of it is just going to the landfill and it's never making it through recycling, it's never repurposed and you don't get to have carpet that's made out of recycled B frames and things like that. So those are all the frames. There are other uh, frame manufacturers, uh, but those are the basic types. And the only one that's really distinctive from all of those would be the flow frame, but those are for flow hives and they're more than $60 per frame. So I left that out, but foundationless, I just thought I would touch on several different types. And uh, these days I personally like the wooden frame and the, pre-waxed plastic foundation inside of it so this is what i like to do the most these days it's just easiest and we did have good luck with cut comb this year so i'm definitely going to repeat that so that's foundationless so it all depends on what your end purpose is if you're going to run your frames through an extractor uh, you don't want to run foundationless because without some kind of support in there the beeswax tends to bow out or chunk apart and actually disintegrate so if it's for cut comb it's perfect for a foundationless frame if it's in the brood that's fine because we're never cycling our brood frames through extractors and if it's for the medium super in my case that's just for the bees it can be foundationless too but an important thing you should know is that's the most expensive beeswax for the bees to build however it's also the most natural So if you have foundationless frames, you can expect them to consume a lot of honey and or sugar syrup in order to build it out. So another thing to think about. All right. So question number five comes from, I don't know what the actual word is, but it's BGUSD732, again, the YouTube name. Said so I'm going into my fourth winter keeping bees and congratulations on that because most people quit after their third year. So if you're a third year beekeeper and this is your third winter, this is your make or break winter right now to decide if you're a good beekeeper, if you should throw down your hive tools and quit. So as I started with four colonies in 2020 and I'm now going into winter with over 20. My winter losses have been reasonable so far, 12 to 25%, and you know what, you're right, that is reasonable. In fact, that's a very low loss rate Um, and uh, meets the national standard or better, which is put out by the Be Informed Partnership, if you want to know. I've been overwintering with double deeps and an upper entrance vent, i.e. notch in the inner cover face down. I have two inches of styrofoam on the inner cover and black coroplast wraps on the hives. These are common up here in Southern Ontario, Canada. Leaving an upper entrance or vent has always bothered me for the reasons you state, but I've always given in to the conventional wisdom. I even started with closed vents last winter, but panicked early and flipped over all the inner covers, i.e. opened the vents on a mild day last November. Turned out to be my best winter so far, less than 12% loss. However, here I am again, struggling with this issue. At this time, all the vents are closed, but my anxiety is already starting to get the best of me. And the reasons you give for no venting are sound, but watching water stream out the bottom of the corners of my bottom boards and entrances is beginning to drive me crazy again. Anyway, I think I will open up the vents at only about half of my hives as an experiment and I will see how it goes this winter. Thanks for sharing your thoughts and so on. Okay, so one of the reasons I like this, there's really not a question in here, but it does describe what I consider paramount in backyard beekeeping no matter where you are. Um, A lot of people will say all beekeeping is local and that is true, your weather extremes and the weather dynamics that you face and that your bees will ultimately face are gonna differ depending on where you are. And what I really like most about this question is that he's going to experiment. This is what I see people do most often and it's pretty darn frustrating, is that they'll read about something, see something, watch a demonstration, go home, change every hive to match that. And if it works, that's great. Um, But the thing that I really like is doing half of them one way half of them another way. So we have 20 colonies to work with here. If half of them are going to be vented and half are not, uh, then we're going to find out what the result of that is in spring. And also what I like to stress on people is don't do a one-off. Don't just try it one time on one hive and make your judgment and decide whether it works or doesn't. Try it season after season. Uh, That's how I arrived at my best practices right here in uh, the backwoods on a dirt road in the snow belt of Pennsylvania here, 1,300 feet above sea level. Most people in our area are uh, ag zone 5. We're technically a zone 4 because we are a good 5 to 8 degrees colder than just what the community 10 minutes north of us is. And they're north of us, keep in mind, but they're only at 500 feet above sea level see what happens so the climates are very local and um so making these incremental changes venting not venting tilting your landing boards towards uh, tilting your hive toward the landing board is very important because i see the same water coming out the real question is where's the water inside the hive most of us can't tell we don't have the equipment to look at it i can stick my endoscope in there and i can see if i have frost or something But on the sidewalls, there's a lot of water being generated. The larger the colony of bees, the more water they're respirating, the more potential there is for that to hit the dew point. Once it hits the dew point, it's gonna condense on the interior surfaces of your hive. And that doesn't hurt a darn thing as long as it's not directly over your cluster. Insulation and closing up that vent removes that spot over your cluster for condensation. So, particularly because I have nucleus hives that are stacked three high. There's a lot of bees in them. They're wall to wall bees. And I don't feed those. They are insulated on top. Two forms of insulation because they have those migratory covers. What is a migratory cover? Well, I don't have one handy, but it's just a three quarter inch piece of wood that lays right on top of your top box. And then it's got a piece of wood across each end so it's three quarters inch of pine straight over the backs of your frames but guess what I did I cut a piece of double bubble the same size as the nucleus hive I put that on the frames first then I put that uh migratory cover on top of that and then on top of that is a two inch thick rigid foam board cap that sits over the top of it so they are insulated at the top no feed because there's no opportunity to feed that I do have one that's got a feeder shim on it, but I'm not putting any feed. But now that I'm thinking about it while I'm talking to you, because it has a feeder shim on it, why not cut one of the fondant packs in half and put that straight on that, uh, we'll test that one out. So anyway, uh, the reason I bring that up is so much water comes out. They have a round hole entrance off the bottom in the front of the hive. And then they have that control wheel on the front of that and uh, you'll see the corners of those hives are stained from all the water that comes out and when does it come out when we've had a cold night and then we get a warm day much like today so when that happens you see the water coming out the important part of that is it has to be tilted forward in a perfect world and i'm experimenting with my first bottom boards that i've made uh, are screened with a cavity inside with a removable tray and uh, that tray will collect condensation and I can pull that out and dump the water. So I don't need it to run out the front. Now I can keep the hive perfectly level. It won't make a difference. That's experimental. If it works consistently, I'll share that uh, tray, that nucleus hive design with my viewers coming into next year. But I think it's going to work. Everything that I've learned so far. So we want to be able to pull the water out, drain it forward and so on. So don't let that panic you because if moisture is being vented out through the top, that is partnered with valuable heat. It is passive passive ventilation. In other words, the bees, even though they're not trying to move air around, it's moving on its own through convection. So bad news for the bees overall. Reinforced recently, again, by uh, Randy Oliver. We talked uh, about that. Recently a couple of weeks. Has it already been two weeks? Anyway, he covered that again. No top venting. I agree Try it, but the idea that you're splitting both and that's with any configuration change you want to make. Why are there so many different ways to keep bees? Because here's the truth of it. A lot of the different ways work. They just work marginally better, marginally worse. Uh, If you're not killing your bees, then these ways that you have of wrapping your hives people use tar paper and all kinds of stuff Um, when I see people break out tar paper and they use that to wrap their hives on the outside Uh, thermally it doesn't do diddly for your bees really and uh, I know the sun warms black surfaces but you have to consider how much sunlight are your beehives getting in the winter time and how much of the hive is getting it I want you to do me a favor for those of you who those of you who are on the roof felt is really what it is because I built, I designed and built my own house. I put roof felt on my roof, which is on top of the sheathing under the shingles. And uh, when you realize what that material is impregnated with, do you really want to put that in direct contact with your beehive? And then somebody will say, well, I know so and so who's been doing that for 110 years and it works perfectly. My question for those people are, Have you tried anything else and have you done what this other viewer did, which is divide your hives in half, wrap some of them with the roof felt, look up the composition of it, and then some with maybe Tyvek or something else. So a house wrap, which is designed for that, by the way. The biggest advantage of wrapping your hive with a thin material like that is that it cuts out wind intrusion through bad joints on aging hives other than that it does very little now on the other side of which you know i have another friend in our beekeeping club that wraps her hives in double bubble so i can see the benefit of that double bubble has an r factor it uh, is definitely going to stop the airflow and it's like adding another full thickness piece of pine onto your hive because it has like a 0.7 uh, R value so I could see double bubble because the other part of that is it's not off-gassing anything Get your nose right up close to roof felt in the Sun and tell me what you smell if you're smelling it It's got particulates coming off of it. They are not good Okay, so moving on question number six uh, putting away my Soapbox, I'm not gonna lecture anymore, but anything you're putting on or in your hive look at what it's made out of and see how stable it is Uh, This one comes from Gavin from Castlemaine, Victoria, Australia. So it's spring here in Australia. Yay for you down there in Australia that it's warming up while we're getting rained on and snowed on up here. Because I want to turn one of my strong hives into a dedicated foundation builder. I have 13 hives to pick from. Should I choose a hive that builds a lot of brood or a hive that makes more honey than the other hives? For a foundation builder only hive what setup would you recommend an example would be single brood then foundation super on top what would be best or two brood boxes then foundation super internal syrup feeder or entrance feeder i hope my question makes sense gavin it makes perfect sense i've known one other i grew up with a kid named gavin Um, i know you don't care about this story but i'm going to tell it anyway we had a substitute teacher and her name was Miss Topping, and Gavin uh, asked her, he raised his hand and said, do you go good with strawberries? And she got really angry and decided to send him to the office and she asked what his name was. And he said, Gavin, and she said, what's your last name? And he goes, House. And she goes, go to the office for lying to me. That was his real name, Gavin House. So Gavin House, Urbana, Illinois, if you're still around, shout out to you. So anyway, what's the configuration? You should not have a last name of topping if you're going to be a substitute teacher and you want to survive. Moving on. Um, so the nucleus hives for me are the best comb builders. That's why I use them for resource hives. That narrow configuration, that vertical stack, they build out comb faster and they are more capable at storing resources than any other hives I have. And so this is why I want more of them. And I realize you have to actively maintain them because they're also swarm generators. If they build up easily and they build up fast, and this has to do with the configuration and the fact that they like that narrow column that rises. In fact, when your bees move up in the wintertime, uh, they go, uh, five frames is more than enough. So if we're not trying to go into mass production, these are your configurations that do extremely well and the only reason i can keep them under control is by constantly pulling out their resources they're great for cut comb by the way if you want to do foundationless frames because they are kings at producing neutron comb in that top box and by top box i'm talking about the third box i don't stack them higher than that because it would just look weird they look very unstable if they go higher than that They probably could go higher than that. They have a single entrance at the bottom, that little tiny hole that's on the front of all of my uh, nucleus hives. And there's no venting through the top. And they are insulated on top, as I described before, double bubble, and then the 3 quarter inch migratory cover, and then the 2 inch rigid foam board cap on top. And when I say cap, I mean the foam board goes across the top and down all sides about six inches. So if I were just trying to build frames this is really what they're great for. They will draw out comb for you and you can use that to fortify other colonies that are having issues or maybe you're rotating out old broom, brood comb in some of your boxes uh, you could pull from these bees because they only store nectar and resources in it too So once they've drawn the comb, maybe it could be good to them and leave them a couple of capped frames of honey, but just pull out drawn comb or three quarters drawn comb and use them as starters in some of your other hives. All of my nucleus colonies are all deep boxes, which means that they go into all of my deep brood boxes anywhere else I need them, including the long Langstroth hive. So they are resource bees, they build well. And if I were looking to set up a configuration to do nothing but super feed them, which is what's being described here, sugar syrup, a light syrup, uh, which is one-to-one sugar syrup, one pound sugar. So if you had a four pound bag of sugar, then you also use a half a gallon of water with that. And now you have one-to-one. You mix that together. And some people have even gone lighter. I wrote to some people that were talking about that, but it was very short on the science supporting it. Uh, But don't get very strict about these light syrups if you're roughly in the vicinity of a one-to-one sugar-to-water The bees consume that readily for their energy needs and they also cycle that into production for example comb building much as they would honey So it's really good for that particularly in spring by the way that is like a time of year when they're very inspired to go ahead and build a lot of comb and be in production so that's a configuration i would use i'd use new hives in fact uh darn it we have a new hive that i'm going to talk to you about that's coming up that i ran into the inventor it was at the pennsylvania state beekeepers association and uh, i kind of have to figure it out a little bit myself before i even show the video because i want you to see the way this is made but it is along this line that uh, using a colony that will be a higher production colonies. So look for that this coming week because I'm going to talk more uh, that it was innovated over seven year period of time and a guy named George. So shout out to him even though I'm not providing the last name. That video is coming out this week. We're going to talk about a hive configuration that I guarantee you have not seen before. So that's going to be fun. And Gavin, you should watch it too. So question number seven, moving on. This is from Charlene and Dave. Westfield, New York, and uh, Chautauqua County. So here we go. This is our second year beekeeping. First was not good for us, and we lost both hives over winter due to our lack of experience. We have uh, Doc Leo's Layens hive, and we went to his classes. So that's cool. Uh, Dr. Leo Sharashkin. for those of you who are looking, it's HorizontalHive.com. Uh, in the Ozarks of Missouri. He offers classes and they have, I don't know, maybe more than one a year. Highly recommend looking into that. And if you're considering the Layens Hive, look into Beekeeping with a Smile. It's a really good book. Highly recommend that too. So anyway, it says, so my questions to you are, how do you feed your Layens Hive and how do you do your OA vape on all of them if you do it all? So last year I did not treat the Layens hives and uh, OA is oxalic acid for those of you who may not know and the vaporizers come in a bunch of different form factors. So you should also know uh, my favorite vaporizer for oxalic acid delivery is now the Instant Vape, I-N-S-T-A-N-T-V-A-P. And the reason for that is it's battery powered and it has a little hole that's two hundred thousandths of an inch in diameter and I can stick that into a quarter inch diameter hole or in this case the entrance hole of a Leyens hive. So they have a little control wheel on them and the ones that you get from Dr. Leo have three entrances. I close two off. I only use one which is in keeping with kind of my treatment of all of my hives horizontal or otherwise. And I can close it down and I have a little wooden dowel that's drilled out that slips over the end of it. And I find that that works really well to take up the space in that opening and then feed oxalic acid vapor through the entrance. So I did do that on all of them this year, by the way. So, but keep in mind now, this is in contrast to what Dr. Leo teaches. So he teaches not to feed your bees. Uh, he teaches also not to treat for mites. So where he lives in the Ozarks, um, he's able to work from survivor stock there. I recommend personally that you are aware of the mite loads and that if they are loaded with mites, you treat them. I'm also leaning more now towards in your small backyard apiary. If you have even one or two colonies that are showing high mite loads, I would then consider that all of your colonies keep records of those that are doing well and and have low mite loads, but I highly recommend treating them all the same. And here's why. Um, There's so much drift going on that if you have one colony that's got mites, your bees are sharing workforce bees on a consistent basis in numbers that I'm not even sure of those that count bees that do the science that are working on their postdoc or whatever they're doing that are counting bees estimate that it's about 20 percent of any colony at any given time is composed of uh, bees that are not from that queen 20 percent that's a lot of drift so i have changed to looking at my backyard apiary as a small community as a commune so to speak and they are interchangeable. We know drones are going to hives all over. We know that workers are apt to shift gears and drop in on every, any other colony they feel like it, on a whim, I don't even know how they decide it, but they're coming back full of resources that their own hive probably needs, and then they just load up and join another one. So the other part of that is if you've got a colony that's under stress by Varroa destructor mites, the chances of the workforce not feeling like they want to go home because they've got a bunch of parasites living at home, they could carry those parasites to other colonies. As that colony begins to fail, this increases. If they get robbed this time of year, that increases also because the mites are on unhealthy bees inside that colony. They're going to move onto the bodies of the healthy bees that are coming in. The other thing is, if you have the workforce departing that hive and ending up in another colony, they're bringing the mites with them. I have two colonies this year that ultimately failed. So the one that was being robbed by yellow jacket wasps early on and we put screens on, they did not make it. They were, once the bees started robbing them, that was the end of it. They couldn't hold their own. So that's empty. And then we have another colony. So once I realized that, I closed up the hive. So close it up completely. Not gonna let any of it get robbed and I don't want anybody getting away with their mites. So I also treated the colony with oxalic acid during its failure period because any varroa destructor mites that are in there I want to get them before they have a chance to move somewhere else did it work yes how do I know because it was a flow hive which has a removable tray and when I hit it with oxalic acid I had cleaned the tray and replaced it so I know that 48 hours later anything that's in that tray is from that period over the past two days so when I treated with OA there were dead mites all over that tray I had my own Mite bomb in my own apiary. So then what did I do? Treated all the hives. So these are philosophies that are gonna be in conflict with each other, and uh, I am not going to let my strong colonies get impacted even at sub-lethal levels. In other words, the colony may not completely fail. They may still barely click along, but if they've suddenly been given this infusion of varroa destructor mites, I am sucking as a beekeeper. It'd be great. I want my bees to defeat the mites, and I'm not defeating that selection process. If I treat a colony that is in failure mode, that is being overwhelmed with mites, if I if I ignore that colony and let them cycle out a whole bunch of mites to the other colonies, then I fail to protect those other colonies. So, I hope that comes out clear. If destructor mites are there, I'm going to kill them. what I'm going to do if I have the means to do it and so these are organic treatments that that's a feel-good thing to say organic not synthetic treatments so I think think I'm on to it so how are you gonna feed them I'm not I'm still not feeding any of the horizontal hives except I did mention I might put a fondant pack on the land or the long Langstroth because it's it's configured to accommodate a pack and look at the thickness of these this is some thin stuff so if i put that on the cover boards in my long langstroth hive and then i just have double bubbling over the top of that i haven't interrupted this barrier this insulation layer and i do have a feedstock there i don't expect them to eat at all they were super productive we made three colonies out of that colony this year gave some to people that i'm mentoring and they're doing extremely well so why did i split up that colony Because when we were doing an inspection, we came across queen cells. So look, we have queen cells. They're going to swarm anyway. Call people up. Do you need some, you know, a colony of bees to work with? We'll come over. We'll go ahead and transfer the frames with the queen cells on them. And uh, what I didn't see instead of collecting the queen and uh, giving her away, I didn't do that because outstanding top performing colony. I collected the queen on a frame of brood and I put her into a nucleus hive that I kept. But, since I had several brood frames that had uh, queen cells in production on them, we created nucleus colonies from those queen cells with the brood and some resources and we gave those away. And now we know that they have to finish out, the queen cell has to be capped, we know that then she has to emerge from the queen cell, that then she has to mature a little bit, she has to do a mating flight and then come back mated and go into egg laying. In the meantime, what do we get? A brood break, an opportunity to treat for mites, and we have a clean install. And they're doing fantastic. So, food for thought there. So anyway, um, if I had to vaporize them, I would do that. If I were going to feed the lay-ins hive, I would use this frame feeder. I just have this because I like to have the gear around in case people want to know about it. And I have to have a prop to show. So that's why I have that frame feeder. I've never used it. So just telling you how it can be used. Uh and to follow if you want to follow Dr. Leo's uh discipline there, it's not to feed, but rather to have your colony stay strong, be well cared for. Remember, beekeeping with a smile, how many times a year are they even getting into their hives? Twice a year, spring and fall, harvest time. So for me, I just can't do that because I have to see what's going on. I have to know what my mite loads are. Some people will roll their eyes. There's a very strong movement of people that want to be treatment free, but treatment free is not management free. Uh, I have to know, for example, if there were a brood disease in a hive and I don't look at that for six months, can you imagine the foothold that would have given what I've already told you regarding the drift of bees from colony to colony that would spread this disease to other hives. Heaven forbid, American fowl brood. Now, fowl brood, the good news is it's in decline. However, European fowl brood is on the rise. So be very careful. Just because it's not American fowl brood, which is the you know, scorched earth treatment method, which is if you have American fowl brood, your entire hive gets destroyed and all the equipment gets destroyed. Um, The good news is we haven't had that this year in my state, but that means people are kind of letting their guard down. They're so focused on the Varroa destructor mite and its control that they're forgetting there are a lot of other issues that your bees can have. And going into winter, one of the issues that's going to hit your bees is going to be Nozema nazima serrana so i did do the crush tests and inspections and i used the um the slides for my microscope and everything to see hemo whatever slides i forget the name of them right now but they're designed just to count uh spores and uh, didn't have any to count that seemed strong because my goal was to find out, is uh, hive alive working to reduce Nozema? And here's what I did. I didn't follow my own advice. Um, I gave every single one of my hives the um, hive alive. So how do I know then if it's reduced because of the hive alive, I had no control, and by control I mean one that was not provided with that resource. Uh, I wasn't crushing the guts of the bees that were in uh, the lay-ins hives. Those would have been a good example of a control because they weren't fed. So I failed on that, but the good news was that Nozema levels were so low, I stopped even looking at them, so there's that. Moving on, question number eight. This is from Wayne. Uh, the city is Ramsey, Minnesota. So anyway, moving on. I've tried, let's see. Hi Fred. I've tried many different size entrances for my wintering setup. Styrofoam wrap and lids, no upper vent or entrance. When I use a very small entrance, the bees keep the dead clear for most of the winter and then fall behind and it finally gets full of dead bees. If I use a mostly wide open entrance, it seems like the bees stack the dead bees right up against the mouse guard, which is half inch wire mesh. It seems uh, purpose built to me. Have you ever noticed this type of behavior? I think I'll try 3 8 inch by 3 inch wood reducers for mouse guards this year shrews got through my half-inch wire last year and killed a bunch of my nukes was just too much stress on a very long winter last year okay so this gives me a chance to talk about a few different things uh number one and this is my grandson's job now by the way the supervisor we'll call him i give him the besmart designs plastic hive cleaner tool he goes out there he cleaned every entrance um, in like 10 minutes. So he went out there. The other thing is we have those, um, not the lay-ins hives. Lay-ins hives did not need cleaning because their entrances are low. So anyway, the hives that have small entrances or the little round entrances, uh, we have a dowel rod that you poke in just to make sure it's clear, but that's not pulling dead bees out. It's just making sure they're not up against it, preventing your bees from getting out to do cleansing flights. Apame that's the name was escaping me the Apame entrances have these little arches on them and uh, I spoke with them about that it would be great to have one that's only three-eighths of an inch open and there is some discussion about them putting that out and the reason is a 3 8 inch opening for those of you who are taking notes three-eighths of an inch high by two or three inches wide will not permit a mouse or a shrew to get in not even the pygmy shrew because a pygmy shrew you might be wondering how big an opening can that pygmy shrew get into the smallest opening that a pygmy shrew can get through this is small mammal biology here one cent is about one centimeter 0.390 0.390 inches. This is because pygmy shrews are very small mammals with a body length only 4 to 6 centimeters, 1.6 to 2.4 inches. Tail length, blah blah blah. But here's the key point: 0. 0.39 inches is what they need to get their teeny tiny little shrew heads through. So then the thing is, uh, if I'm telling you to use 3/8 inch, that is 0. 0.375 inches smaller than the 0.39 that they need. Therefore, my 3 eighths of an inch, and then no matter what the width is on that, but that 3 eighths inch opening, no rodent can get in. And the reason I bring this up is I don't like the hardware cloth thing. As described here, the dead bees piling up against the hardware cloth, because now it's an additional step. And I know that as much as you care about your bees, a lot of beekeepers, particularly hobby beekeepers when it comes winter time you've got several feet of snow and everything else out there removing the screen and then doing the clean out is an extra step and it slows people down so when i send out my little supervisor this winter through the deep drifted snow he's going to have his little hook and he's going to reach in there and i taught him how to scoop out dead bees from all the entrances and he's going to be able to do that without having to remove any interference. And then of course with the Apame entrances, he'll be sticking his little towel in there and noting first whether or not there are a bunch of dead bees piled against the entrance. So we're going to keep all the entrances open. This, for some reason makes some people very frustrated that it's nonsense to do that. Not nonsense to the colony that is trapped behind a bunch of dead bees. So some people also talk about reversing or turning their entrance reducer upside down. Uh, you can do that and that does give them a little clearance there so if there's dead bees piled up but you can have more dead bees that can still plug that whole thing. The other thing is the bottom boards, solid bottom boards, have a summer and winter position. Which is another thing I think is weird. Because if you flip it over it has a 3 8 inch side to your reversible bottom board. Why not leave that 3/8 inch side as your entrance all year long? Just keep it that way. nobody wants to pull apart their entire hide so they can get to the bottom board just going into winter so you can put it to the three8 inch mark Because somebody thought of that a long time ago that three/8 inch opening does not allow mice or any shrews to get in. So let's frustrate those little vermin. keep them out. three-eighths of an inch does it and will facilitate using that little blue plastic Bee Smart Designs uh, cleaner. It's an entrance cleaner that reaches way back in and allows you to clear out dead bees, helps your bees out. That was uh, the last question for today. So the fluff part. This is the plan of the week for those of you who care. For those of you who don't, we're all done. You can go and get pizza or whatever you do on Friday. So um, this is what I'm doing personally tomorrow. I'm going to put fondant on all of my Langstroth hives. Uh, The long Langstroth is up in the air, whether I'm going to put a uh, fondant pack on that. But it works so well, it goes on top of my insulated inner covers. None of my hives have uninsulated inner covers with the exception of my nucleus hives, which as I described before, they have double bubble then they have the migratory cover and then they have the insulation cap so they all have some kind of insulation on them Uh, if you haven't done this already check all of your entrances see if they are open enough to allow rodents to get in some people will say well you know they don't have mice you know maybe one in ten two in ten gets invaded by a mouse Uh, well that's one hive out of ten or two out of ten that uh, you can prevent mice from getting into if you just reduce the entrance. That's all I'm saying. Three-eighths of an inch blocks them, allows you to clean it. So uh, storage racks, that's the other thing. Um, A lot of people have taken honey supers off and things like that. They've got them in temporary storage. Uh, This is the time to really, before things get really cold. If you're in the South, you don't care. But up where we are, it gets so cold, I don't even want to be in the shop because I don't like being out there when it's below freezing. But this is a time to organize. Get all your stuff off the floor. Put your stuff uh, back in the hive boxes if your frames have been extracted and things like that. Uh, and then of course, close them off so that rodents can't get to them. The other thing is I put in these uh, boxes that are shaped like channels. So I call it my box of certain death and it's for mice. We put those boxes with mouse traps in them along the floor in the garage, in the wood shop, wherever your bee equipment is being stored, and you will trap the rodents that go in there that otherwise might build nests in your hive equipment and chew through your beeswax all winter long while eliminating in your boxes. So it's just another safety factor. If you want to know if you've got those things in there, I have uh, cameras, of course, for my storage areas because I want to see what's going on. I like to test out different types of traps there are live catch traps um, I don't ever recommend sticky traps and things like that that would just you would find a an animal stuck on it that's dying slow I prefer if you're going to kill them kill them instantly that's why it's called a box of certain death not maybe kill them nothing goes in that box and comes back out it just doesn't so you can look that up on my YouTube channel I show you how to make them and they're good for chicken houses and things like that because rodents naturally go into these little entrances and uh, your chickens and other livestock can't get in the box so they can't access the dead animal. The other thing is they won't be able to trigger your traps. You can build them rat size. If you have a rat problem, go 100% on those rats. I don't play games when you get a rat around. If you get a rat pack, you get a whole family of rats that move in you've got a huge problem on your hands. You want to know that they're there and we need to outsmart the rats, which is not as easy as you might think. I spent several weeks going head-to-head with a rat that every time he turned around and looked at one of the cameras, only one of his eyes glinted at the camera, which means he was missing an eye and I named him Igon. And me and Igon went back and forth for weeks. I watched him show up He would look at a trap, a little young rat comes zipping in, zips right in the trap. Igon watches that rat get snapped and then he walks away clean. So you can't trust rats. They're super smart. They figure things out and they're devastating. They will kill your chickens. They will eat chicks. They will chew holes in walls in an alarming amount of time. They do it so fast and efficient. It's amazing why am i telling you all of this because when you store beekeeping equipment around it has an appeal to rodents and it's kind of one of the tough things it's what you know i'm not worried about you know animals like um you know wax moths and things that would come in there because in the winter time they're not flying around they're not an issue in the winter time what is an issue are rodents seeking shelter food and resources that can get into your buildings so that's it and for those of you who are worried that you're killing them for nothing you can contact your wildlife rehab center shift to live catch traps i highly recommend bucket traps look up planky pro which is mice walk the plank they fall in you've got them in this bucket i have a nice deep bucket they can't jump out of you donate your mice to wildlife recovery they win you win you're removing mice you're not killing them you're feeding other animals they're killing them so that might help you they will even drive out and collect the animals that you've got for them because they have raptor recovery and things like that so if you want to help them out you're doing two things getting the rodents out of your buildings and providing for recovering wildlife Let's see, and don't forget to tilt your hives towards the landing board if you have landing board level entrances. So, tilt towards landing board for the reasons that were described by somebody else, that uh, you could have condensation coming down the sidewalls on those warm days we wanted to get out of the hive. We don't want to retain it inside, particularly if you've got solid bottom boards. Uh, when it comes to horizontal hives, you know, long langs, lay-ins, things like that, those hives are perfectly level. I don't do anything uh, for moisture control other than just have the entrances off the bottom for those and that's not a problem. We already talked about hive life back in stock. And uh, also I'd like to see in the comments section if there's one good thing that you learned in beekeeping that kind of changed the way you do things. If there's one good thing that you'd like to share that you did uh, this year that helped you out with beekeeping maybe it's a tool maybe it's uh, some practice that you've incorporated that worked out really well and it was a light bulb moment and you've been keeping bees for a long time and just never took the plunge and made that decision please write down in the comment section below this video so that others can benefit from what it is that you're doing if you've got a video that you made that demonstrates how what you're doing works uh, you'll find that when you make a comment and you try to link a video it gets withheld so it looks like your comment did not post it is automatically held because it has a link. Uh, but what I do is go through when I have the time and I'll look at those um, comments that were withheld and then I'll release it so that people can see what you've done and how you're doing. For those of you who want to talk about bees right now, you've got a question, can't wait. You're not going to put it in for a Friday. And if you are okay with Facebook, please Google The Way to Be Fellowship on Facebook and you can join the discussion there and there are people from all over the world so I don't care if it's two o'clock in the morning if something is on your mind you can go into that fellowship and uh, ask questions or share something that you think is working really well and you can find out what others opinions are about it and everyone has opinions and no matter what level beekeeper you are you'll be welcome there so it's the way to be fellowship on Facebook please join have the conversation so that's it for today I hope that you found something useful in today's Q&A and uh, I hope that you'll watch for the video that's going to come up in the next week about this new beehive design that I think is very interesting and will help you plan for maybe what you might be doing next spring here in the United States for those of you who are in Australia I'm so glad that you have hot warm weather that everything is great so we're looking at snow here Thanks for watching, have a fantastic weekend.